The Apostle Paul was in prison and he wrote the book of Philippians. And in that book of Philippians, he talks over and over about rejoicing and finding joy. He finds himself in some very difficult circumstances. And so from his perspective, he was able to lean into the Lord and to find some peace that passes all understanding. And that's what we're looking at as we walk through Philippians as well, is how we can find some peace and find some freedom from our anxieties, even though we find ourselves in some very difficult circumstances. We're using the acronym CALM as we walk through the passage in Philippians chapter 4. The C in CALM is to celebrate God's goodness. Last week we looked at celebrating God's sovereignty to know that God is in control. And because he's in control, he can bring to pass the promises he's made to us. And so we rest in that and we trust in that and we understand that it is the Lord who's in, ultimately in control of everything, that the Lord is still on his throne. Today we want to look at the next way that we can celebrate God's greatness and his goodness, even in the midst of a pandemic and lockdowns and uh, an economy that's struggling and people who are losing their health and their lives even. It's a very turbulent time. It's a very anxious, inducing time. And yet in the midst of that, God's word is still true. God's word is still true today, as it was a month ago, as it was two months ago, as it was in Paul's day. And because God's word doesn't change, we know that we can trust him. We know that his word speaks to us today. And that's really what we are looking for, is some uh, grounding, is to find a solid place to stand. And so today we look at this idea of celebrating God's mercy because in the midst of everything, no matter how hard things are, God is still good. And there's still some things that we can praise God for and to thank God for. There are a couple kinds of guilt. One kind of guilt is I did bad. I did a bad thing and now I feel guilty about it. But the other kind of guilt is I am bad. Often uh, people uh, differentiate the two as this. One is guilt, I did bad, and one is shame, I am bad. Guilt is what I do, but shame is what I am. And both of those are results, perhaps, of actions that we were supposed to do that we didn't do or that we weren't supposed to do that we did. Really, who hasn't blown it? And during this time of uh, pandemic, we are maybe stressed out more than we normally are. We are more anxious than we normally are. And it's sometimes in those places that stress just magnifies the flesh. We maybe find ourselves more angry. We are, our, our fuses are shorter and we're blowing up at those closest to us. Uh, we can see something on the news and we can become very angry. We hear what's happening or not happening and we become very angry. Um, there's this alone time that we often find ourselves in, and there's long periods of time that we're not being productive. And so we tend, if we're not careful, to fill those times with temptations and with things that are not God-honoring. There's also a temptation to numb the effects of what we're going through through um, some different medications or uh, substances to try to dull the pain. And the result of all those things then is guilt. We know what's going on and we get angry and then afterwards we feel guilty. The harsh consequences of guilt then is anxiety. And so there is this uh, triggers in our lives of whatever is going on. Obviously the current uh, pandemic is a trigger, but uh, besides that there are the pressures of economics, the pressures of family, the pressures of uh, keeping healthy, the pressures of just the day-to-day -day living but behind a lot of our anxiety could be unresolved guilt. You know, humanity's 
first occasion of anxiety came from guilt. Adam and Eve were in the garden, this perfect place, and the Lord uh, gave them instructions about the parameters of their lives. And they took their matters into their own hands, and they decided to be God instead of God. And the consequence in Genesis 3.8 says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What happened? Well, up until this point, they felt no fear or anxiety. Adam and Eve, as we read in Genesis 2.25, were both naked and they felt no shame. So prior to sin, shame was not part of the equation. But the couple said yes to the serpent's temptation, and they said no to God. And ultimately, the sin was that they de-godded God. They dethroned God. They took God off of his rightful throne, and they put themselves on that place that only God uh, deserves and belongs. And they decided for themselves what was right and what was wrong. They would no longer allow God to do that, but they took that upon themselves. And so God's sovereignty means he is on the throne but in our sin, we take God off the throne and we put ourselves on the throne. We dethrone him and enthrone ourselves instead. This is no cure for anxiety. When we place ourselves on the throne, that old saying, heavy lies the head that wears the crown. And if we decide to crown ourselves and enthrone ourselves, we find ourselves um, fearful and anxious and guilt-ridden. And so what happened to Adam and Eve is they ran into the bushes and they were hiding. Guilt came first and then anxiety hitched a ride and it came next. And so what they did is they hid. We deal with our guilt in a number of ways. And here's some ways that we perhaps deal with it and see if you identify with any of these. Sometimes we numb it. We uh, reach for the vodka bottle or hours of internet pornography or uh, light up the joint of marijuana, whatever it is, binge watch TV. We numb it or we deny it. We pretend we never stumble. We wear a mask and we just prolong the charade or we minimize it. We say, well, I really didn't sin. It was just a lapse in judgment. It was, I'm, I'm only human after all. And so we, we minimize it to make it less than what it really was. Sometimes we bury it. We bury our guilt between a, a calendar of appointments and our busyness, and we stay busy so we don't have time to deal with ourselves. And one of the situations that has come about with this uh, pandemic where we, everyone has to stay at home and we're not as busy as we were, if we're honest, we have to start dealing with some of that stuff that we've been pushing off because we have filled our lives previous to this with just running to and fro. And so we try to bury it. Or perhaps we punish it. We hurt ourselves. We, we beat ourselves up. If not literally, then we make rules for ourselves. And we have more rules. And we have long lists. And we try painful penance. And we just think if we pray more, if we study more, if we give more, I can punish the guilt that's in me. Or we just avoid perhaps mentioning it at all. We don't bring it up. We don't tell family. We don't tell friends. We keep everything beneath the surface. Sometimes we deal with our guilt by redirecting it. We lash out at the kids, we take it out on the spouse, we yell at the employees, we yell at the guy next to us in traffic, we yell at the dog, uh, whoever's quarantined with us, and sometimes we redirect it. Sometimes we offset it. We determine never to make another mistake. We build the perfect family, we create the perfect career, we get perfect grades, we wanna be the perfect Christian, 
We don't tolerate slip-ups in ourselves or in others, and so we offset it by saying, I'm just now going to be perfect. Or we embody our guilt. If we didn't, uh, we say we, we didn't get drunk, I am a drunk. We say we didn't make a mistake, I am a mistake. We didn't do bad, I am bad. And like the old song said, bad to the bone. And so sometimes we embrace it and we almost enjoy being who we are in our guilt. And so we deal with guilt in many different ways. But Paul in Philippians clung to grace to the same degree that he relied on God's sovereignty. He relied on the grace of the Lord. He had a reason of all people to feel the burden of guilt. He had orchestrated the death of many Christians. He was actually the ancient version of a terrorist. He went into homes and pulled people out. In Acts 8.3, we read this, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Not only was Paul imprisoning people, but he was legalistic to the core. Before he knew Christ, he spent a lifetime trying to save himself, depending upon his performance. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, he says this about himself. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He said, you think you have a reason to put confidence in your accomplishments? I have more than you. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So what Paul was saying was, I had this pedigree and I was relying on that for who I was. But then came the Damascus Road event. He met Jesus. Jesus saw Paul. And Paul then could no longer see his performance and could no longer boast about anything. And Paul's writing in the book of Philippians comes from the fact that he knew who he was and what he had as a child of God. You see, what Paul did was he had this reason to be guilty, but Jesus saw him and he pulled Paul out of that. And so now Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ." In verse 9, he says this, And having been found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So what Paul did was, Paul gave his guilt to Jesus. He didn't deny it. He simply surrendered it. What would Paul say to those who are guilt-laden? What would Paul say to you if you are feeling guilt-laden today? He would say this, Rejoice in the Lord's mercy. See, in Philippians chapter 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. But he puts that word always, and there's always something to rejoice in the Lord about, even in the midst of this struggle and this place where we find ourselves. We trust in God's ability to forgive. We abandon the attempts to save ourselves. We don't hide anymore. We cast ourselves upon God's grace. A truly contented, blessed Christian a believer in Jesus who is truly happy knows the awareness and has an awareness of the depth of their sin, but also understands the immensity of God's grace, that we dwell in grace and not in guilt. Paul said in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, 
and offers salvation to all people. Grace has a name, and his name is Jesus. Do you know this grace? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? You see, mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. We receive the gift of salvation, and that means we no longer bear the burden of our past. On the other hand, as a, a believer, we may also need and often need to rely on this grace. As a believer, we are no longer measured by our performance. You see, Paul understood both of those, that we need to understand and come to know the grace of Jesus. If we're not a believer, we trust in him for our salvation. We know the depth of our lostness, the depth of our sin, how we are separated from God. And so we trust him and know that we can't save ourselves, but we throw ourselves wholly upon the mercy and the grace of Jesus. But there are a lot of Christians who need to do the same thing. There are a lot of Christians who are living their lives based upon their performance. Well, if I pray often enough, and if I read the Bible often enough, and if I do all the things that I need to do, that somehow God will accept me. And so even as a believer, we can still live outside of grace. You see, grace is a way of life. It's not just a way of salvation, but it is also a way of life. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is a gift. And so in both cases, we have to give up our pride and give up our performance. Those who are outside of Jesus need to give up the pride that we can save ourselves and I don't really need him. But also as believers, we need to give up our performance that I'm somehow trying to earn God's approval. And if you are feeling anxious, you may have stumbled upon the source of your anxiety. And it could be this unresolved guilt in your life. It could be that you're carrying around this guilt from things that you have done or things that you have done in the past or maybe even recently. You thought your problem was your calendar, your family, but the reality is this, it could be unresolved guilt. You see, your future matters more than your past and God's grace is greater than your sin. What you did was not good, but God is good. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter three, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straighting toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said that my future matters more than my past. And what did Paul say? He said, I'm forgetting what is behind. What was behind in Paul's life? Well, there were a couple things. One was the guilt he had from his past of persecuting and killing Christians. But also, he had to forget about his pedigree, all that he was, the things he listed in Philippians about how he had reasons to boast, but when he met Jesus, he realized he had no reason to boast. So Paul's past includes both his sins and his pedigree. He was not relying on his past performance to save him or allowing his sins to create anxiety about God. You might be asking, what does all this talk about guilt have to do with my anxiety? I am anxious about this pandemic. I am anxious about my family. I'm anxious about my future. I'm anxious about a lot of things. But in these moments, 
where we've had a more time than usual because of our schedules being severely cut and our busyness has been very much limited, you may find yourself more uh, in a place where you are perhaps personally reflecting more about your life. It's in these moments that we start to evaluate life and we start to think what's very important in life. And part of that evaluation not only includes where we are and where we want to go, but it also includes our past. And some of the anxiety that we are feeling may come from guilt. Guilt of having sinned in the past or guilt of having even sinned now because this situation we are finding ourselves in just seems to magnify the flesh and our fuses are shorter and our tempers are flaring and all of those things produce guilt. You may be a believer and your sins have been forgiven by Jesus and your life is under the blood of Jesus, but you are still walking around in guilt. And there is a, a, a false guilt and there is a real guilt. And the real guilt is this, I did something and now I need to seek the remedy and the remedy is Jesus. But false guilt is I have done something in the past, it's under the blood of Jesus, and now I still feel guilty. Many believers are walking around with what is called worm theology. What a wretched worm am I? Here's the contradiction, or here's the paradox about being a believer. Yes, we are sinners saved by grace. Our sins are not held against us, but our memories are very good. And we remember the things that we've done. And we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. And so as we come to this time of celebrating God's goodness and rejoicing in the Lord, one of the things that we can always rejoice in is God's mercy. I can't rejoice in a situation right now. I can't rejoice in a, in a lot of things right now because they're bad. But listen, God is always good. And because God is good, there's always something to rejoice in. And some of us uh, have this phantom guilt in our lives that we've not truly surrendered, and we keep beating ourselves up for things that God is not holding against us. Amputees often experience some sense, uh, sensation of a phantom limb, that if they have a, a limb that has been amputated for whatever reason, they still feel the pain of the limb that's no longer there. So somewhere locked in their brains is the pain of this non-existent hand or leg, these invisible toes curl, and imaginary hands grasp things. A leg feels so sturdy that a patient may try to stand on it. One such patient had a painful circulation problem in his leg, but he refused to allow the recommended amputation. But as the pain grew worse, he grew bitter. I hate it, I hate it, he said. He would mutter about the leg. At last he relented and he told the doctor, I can't stand it anymore. I'm through with that leg, take it off. Before the surgery though, he had a bizarre request. I would like to preserve my leg in a pickling jar. I will install it on my mantle shelf. Then as I sit into my armchair, I will taunt that leg. Ultimately, he got his wish. Doctor amputated his leg, put it in a pickling jar, put it on the mantle. But the despised leg had the last laugh. The man suffered phantom limb pain to the worst degree. The wound healed but he could feel the torturous pressure of the swelling as the muscles cramped and he had no prospect of relief. 
Phantom Limb Pain provides a wonderful insight into what phantom false guilt is. We can become obsessed with the memory of some sin that was committed years ago. It never leaves us. It cripples our lives, our devotional lives. It cripples our relationships with other people. And we live in this phantom false guilt. That the guilt that was taken care of by the blood of Jesus, we are still living in that today. You know what that does? That creates anxiety. It creates anxiety because we don't think that we're forgiven or we don't feel forgiven or we are worried about the implications for our lives in the here and now. But we have to experience the truth in 1 John chapter 3. God is greater than our conscience. You see, the fact is that when I come to Jesus, my sins are forgiven. That's a, that's a fact. But the feeling sometimes is that I don't feel forgiven and I need to go back to the truth and the fact of God's word. And the fact of God's word is this. My sins are forgiven, period. Perhaps you're suffering from phantom false guilt. Things that you've done, things that you used to do, that are now covered by the blood of Jesus. Why is this important? Why is understanding this guilt and this phantom false guilt and anxiety that comes from guilt, why is that important now? Because the anxiety that we are experiencing in this pandemic can be compounded by the anxiety of unresolved spiritual guilt. All this time of social distancing has left many people alone and isolated except with their thoughts. And the thoughts roll, and we think about the things we've done, and who we uh, had harmed, and who we had spoken against, and the ways that we have, uh, have failed God and others in the past. And whenever people in the Bible came to a difficult time, they looked at their outward circumstances. You see that in the Old Testament, as God was warning the nation of Israel that the uh, Babylonians and the Assyrians were going to come and take you into exile. And they were fearful and, and they were taken into exile, and they had this uh, very difficult circumstance that was thrust upon their lives. But here's what the prophets did uh, through the word of God, is the prophets, yes, they understood the times and they understood the circumstances, but there was always a call to look inward at the heart, to look inward at our sin. We're using this time to better ourselves, because we have lots of time, and a lot of people are taking up cooking and, and gardening, they're learning a new skill, but mental health and spiritual issues are also real concern. And so we come to this time of, of pandemic, and it has forced us sometimes to face the things in our lives that we have been running from until we are forced to stop. And it has created anxiety. And it has created this sense of, of, of fear in our lives. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12 and verses 4 and 5. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I want you to notice something. What does Jesus start out with? Jesus starts out this way. He says what? I tell you, my friends. What is a friend? A friend is someone who has your concern at heart. A friend who is someone who is concerned in you. A friend is someone who wants you to have a better life than you have now. They're looking out for your interests. And so that's what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, friends, I'm telling you that you are uh, in this place and, and uh, I want you not to be afraid of those who can kill the body, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What does Jesus say? Jesus is saying there's two situations in life. 
There is the physical part of life and there's the spiritual part of life. And yes, the physical part of life is going to end. That's part of us being in Adam. We are part of this human race and nobody lives forever and all of us will die. And at some point these bodies will wear out and they will give up. And so Jesus says this, that there is a physical death that, that we can fear but he says, I want you to tell you there's, a, there's another place, and that's a spiritual place, and I want you to fear the one who has authority over your eternal destiny. He calls us friends, but he also calls us to fear. And so we find ourselves in that place now that we can, we can fear the situation, and we have anxiety about the situation. But Jesus is reminding us that we need to look deeper sometimes at the spiritual state of our souls, at the spiritual state of our lives. And when we dig down in there, if we are honest, we might find that we are still feeling guilty over things that we have done. Even as believers, the phantom guilt is real. Here's a couple things for us to dig down beneath the surface in these moments where we have some uh, more quiet time, some more reflective time, some ways that we can look at this guilt and to deal with it, how to be free from the anxiety that comes from guilt. And the first way that we can be free from guilt's anxiety is we need to state the problem. Someone once said a problem well stated is half solved. Remember, fear has a direct object. But anxiety does not have a direct object. Anxiety is this feeling. I can't quite put my finger on it. And in order to get to the root of our anxiety, we have to state the problem. We need to put into words what is causing our anxiety. This works with the pandemic as well. What are some things that you are anxious about? What are some things that you are concerned about? There is sometimes this, this nebulous thing that I'm, I'm not quite sure. There's just something there. But sit down with a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to just write down the things that you're anxious about. State the problem. List as many as you can. And for the unresolved guilt in our life, for that anxiety that we're feeling spiritually, remember, we're talking about the physical aspect of a pandemic, but we're also talking about the spiritual aspect of our souls. And so I need to state the problem. What is, what is going on in my soul? Why am I anxious? Why do I have guilt? Unresolved guilt will turn you into a miserable, weary, angry, stressed out mess. Have you noticed how angry everyone is? We're all angry. We're, there's sometimes we can't put our finger on it, but we're just angry that we can't go to a restaurant now. We're angry that we can't see our loved ones. We're angry that, that, that life is so upside down. And when I state the problem and just say, I'm angry about this, it's the way that we can start to get a handle on where this is coming from. And where are these angry, stressed out messes? So I need to state the problem. David said this in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What happens is, Guilt sucks the life out of our souls and grace restores it. And David reminds us that when we don't acknowledge it, that when we keep silent about it, it can sap our strength. It doesn't anxiety do that to us. Anxiety saps our strength. It um, takes out our energy. It leaves us feeling blue and depressed and down. And so the very first thing that I need to do is I need to state the problem. So honestly, search your soul, search your heart, 
See, is there any unresolved guilt? Is it there um, just kind of under the surface? Someone said that guilt is a fever to the soul. Just like a fever uh, tells our bodies that something is wrong, guilt tells us that there's something wrong in our souls. And so I just state the problem. I don't ignore it, deny it, minimize it. Uh, don't talk about it, but I have to face it head on. And so these moments are great opportunities for us to see, are there places of life that I have this unresolved guilt? So what if there is? What, do I, what happens if I find myself that, yes, I have some unresolved guilt? Well, the second thing I do then is I humbly repent. Plagues and pandemics in the scripture were always opportunities for God's people to repent. Uh, repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of, of mind that, that I, I look at something in one way, then I am informed and I change my mind and I have a different approach to it. So what I do is, is this addresses both real and phantom guilt. Perhaps I find that the guilt I had stated in the first step, I stated the problem. Perhaps I find that that guilt is not real. What do I do? I repent. I change my mind. I say, Lord, that guilt you've taken care of, it's not real. It's now under the blood of Jesus. I'm giving it to you. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, writes this. He said, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Here, here's what Paul's saying is, Paul is saying, I, I sent this letter and it hurts. It does hurt. And when I start to look at my life and I start to see those things in my life and I don't avoid them and run away from them, there is some pain involved, but like the saying, no pain, no gain. And then Paul says this, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow is how we look at guilt and handle them in those ways that we looked at before. Embracing it, minimizing it, and not talking about it. Worldly sorrow, but godly sorrow, even though it hurts. And sometimes the reason that we avoid things is because it hurts. But it's only through the pain of that hurt that we can find freedom from our guilt. Guilt is like a red warning light on the dashboard of your car. We can do a couple things. We can ignore it, and we can keep driving the car and have it break down and leave us stranded alongside the road sometime. We can actually uh, take the light bulb out and uh, so the warning light doesn't come on anymore. But we're going to end up in both situations not addressing the problem, either by ignoring it or trying to remedy it with a band-aid solution is never going to work. Guilt can mire us down or it can motivate us forward. We are not to remain in our guilt, but that guilt is to be a motivator for humility. Why is it humbly repent? Remember, Paul's problem was two things. One was pride and one was performance. Pride and performance of pride and here's who I am. And before I met Jesus, I did all these things and thought this was my, pre my pedigree. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. It's about pride in my performance, which cause, calls us for great amounts of humility. Uh, Peter writes this, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter reminds us there's, there's, there's two things that are going on at the same time. We humble ourselves and we also cast our anxieties on him. 
Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Here's what Peter does in these, in these couple of verses. He says, yes, you are suffering. Yes, there is something going on. Yes, there are external forces at work here. But I also want you to be aware of the spiritual element of this, that you, you can cast your anxieties on the Lord. But in the midst of this, I want you to be humble and, and come to the Lord. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And so in times of pandemic and in times of difficulty, God never lets us off the hook for our spiritual lives. Suffering is never to be used as a pretext for sinning. God always calls his people on account to account in their spiritual lives, no matter what is going on in the world. Jesus said what? We have two kinds of fear. Fear of the physical, but we also have to fear the one, the, have respect for God and our spiritual lives. And so Peter reminds us as well that in these times of suffering, in these moments of difficulty, that we're not off the hook, that we still are accountable to God no matter what's going on in the world. And so I humbly repent. Suffering and pandemics are no excuse for God's people, for believers in Jesus to act in sinful ways. You know, the anger is still sinful. Even though we feel that it's justified, it is still sinful. And if, we have, we have, if we're not careful in these moments, we can justify our behavior. I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I'm good. Everyone else is evil. I have the answer. Everyone else are idiots. Peter reminds us that we need to humbly repent. You see, the unresolved guilt can lead to this root of bitterness. And if we're not careful in these moments that we can be justified in our bitterness, we can be justified in our anger. Yes, these things are anxiety producing. Yes, these moments uh, bring up something in us. It's, there's hardly a day that goes by that you don't watch the news and one time you're encouraged and the next time you're just so irritated. But God reminds us we can't compound the anxiety of the externals by the anxiety of the internal. I need to face what I am doing and look at the reality of my heart. And if I need to, I humbly repent. And then what do I do? I rejoice in the Lord's mercy. Do you know there's always something I can thank God for every day? I, there, every day, there is something that I can thank God for. And here is something we all can thank God for. He doesn't treat us according to how our sins deserve. In fact, in Psalm 103, he says this, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You know what that is? That's mercy. Every day your feet hit the floor. Every day that you get up, you can thank God for his mercy. He doesn't treat us according to how our sins deserve. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We can rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And you say there's not a whole lot to rejoice about in this world today. Exactly. 
Sometimes there isn't things to rejoice in in this world, but there's always something to rejoice in when we know the Lord. One of the things that Paul rejoiced in was the mercy of Jesus, that even though he was the chief of sinners, even though he had persecuted and killed uh, uh, Christians in the body of Christ, through all of that, it was through his faith in Jesus that he understood he received the grace and the mercy of him. What do I do? I remember I am a child of God and I have the gifts that come along with being a child of God. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The writer of Hebrews says this, we have full assurance. Why? Because of what our faith brings to us. You are a child of God. If you are in Jesus, you have been adopted by the Lord of the universe. You are part of his family. You are his son. You are his daughter. And because of that, I have full assurance of faith that I can go in because of what Jesus has done for us. I'm not standing on my performance, on my pedigree. I'm not standing on my accomplishments. I'm not standing on anything except on the work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished for me. Henri Nguyen tells a lesson of trust he learned from a family of trapeze artists known as the Flying Rodlays. He visited with them for a time after watching them fly through the air with elegant poise. When he asked one of the flyers the secret of trapeze artists, the acrobat gave this reply. The secret is that the flyer does nothing and that the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, my catcher, I have to simply stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I am not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrist, I might break them or he might break mine and that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, a catcher must catch. A flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. God is the catcher. We are the flyers. God's not going to drop you when you reach out to him to trust his grace and his mercy. In fact, Paul said this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We certainly are flying through these moments in history and we're looking for all kinds of things to catch on to, to give us hope, and all kinds of things to grab onto to, to, to give us some certainty. But it's not our job to grasp. It's God's job to grasp. We are the flyers, and we're flying through air, through midair. We don't know where we're going to land. And what God wants us to do is just simply reach out to him, and he's the catcher, and he will catch us and bring us safely home. I can rejoice in God's mercy, and so can you. Aren't you so glad that God doesn't treat us according to the way that our sins deserve? We deserve death. We deserve separation from him. But because of Jesus, we have eternal life. Because of Jesus, our relationship has been restored to him. Are you suffering some unresolved anxiety due to guilt? This pandemic is a perfect time to allow God to search the recesses of our hearts and our souls. Is it painful? Yeah, it's, it hurts. But it's through that pain that we find the place of repentance. 
You see, godly sorrow leads us to repentance. When I cast myself on the mercy of God, it's possible to be anxious for nothing. As you're flying through the air in this pandemic, you don't know where you're going to land, would you just reach your arms out to the Lord? Throw yourself on the mercy of God. Live in the grace that has been given to us by Jesus. Would you just reach out your arms to him and say, Lord, I've been a believer for so long, but I'm still racked by guilt. I don't see myself how you see me in Jesus. Would you give that guilt to him? Reach out for his mercy. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus, and you have been trying to save yourself by just being a good person. Yet in the back of your mind, you know, you know all the horrible things that you've done. You know all the horrible things that you've thought. You know all the horrible things that you've done in secret that nobody else may know. And you are just flying through the air, hoping, just wishing and praying that you're going to land somewhere. Would you reach your arms out to the mercy of God? He'll catch you. It takes humble repentance and surrender to him. What do you have to be thankful to God for today? What, what can you rejoice in the Lord today? In the Lord, in the Lord, we can rejoice in his mercy. Let's pray. Father, we feel like those trapeze artists just flying through life right now. And we don't know where we're going to land. We don't know what we're going to do. And God, all that focus is us. We want to take you off the throne and put ourselves there instead of you. But Father, will you help us to rejoice in your mercy? Will you help us just reach out? We are the flyers and you are the catcher. And so we surrender and we simply reach out to you and to know that you will catch us because of Jesus. And so, Father, for those places in our lives where we may have unresolved guilt, we may have anxiety for the things that we have done, if we are in Jesus, Father, we give you that phantom guilt. But Father, if there's guilt that is unresolved that we need to take care of, may we use this opportunity when we're alone and separated and have lots of extra time to really just come before you and, and um, deal with that guilt. That we don't have to carry this around on top of all the anxiety that we're feeling about things in the world. God, we thank you for your mercy and we rejoice in you for not treating us according to the way our sins deserve. And that's something we all can rejoice in today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.